years ago, how Kara and I knew it was time to be done working with youth is one time um, I asked the youth group if they knew about Saved by the Bell, and, and um, I asked if Katie if I could share this. Katie McCarty said, what is that? And I said, oh my gosh, you have to leave. You cannot stay here. Uh, so anyway, I, I do, and she's still here. So, um, But I asked because Paul McCartney... Obviously, uh, part of the Beatles, one of the biggest bands in history. Uh, he was doing an interview, this is about nine years ago, with Jimmy Fallon. And uh, I, I got this giggle. He's telling this story about playing Rock Band. Is everybody familiar with the video game Rock Band? Okay, now all the hands over here are going to go up and, and it's going to drop. Okay, so Rock Band, is like, it's a video game and you try to strum along to your favorite songs and... And so anyhow, Paul McCartney is playing rock band with his grandchildren and some of their friends, and a Beatles song came on. And of course, he smiled, and he started playing, but you know, to try to get used to video game controllers, it's just hard. Okay, it's, it's a struggle. And I know for, for the youth, it's like second nature, but it, it's hard. We had the original Nintendo or the Atari. There were like... Two buttons and a directional pad, and that was it. So now there are like 27 buttons, and anyway, he's, he's playing this, but he's missing the notes. And, and he continues to miss the notes to a song he wrote, okay? And <laughs> finally, one of his kids, uh, grandkids' friends said, do you even know this song? <laughs> and I giggle at that because it brings up the question, what does it mean to be close to somebody? What does it mean to be close? I mean, we all have probably definitions of that for our families and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. Let let me drill down on that a little bit more. As we're going through the book of Mark as a church and we're in the home stretch, we've been at it for a while, but what does it mean to be close to Jesus? What does it mean to be close to Jesus? And as we are, we're almost to the end of Mark chapter 12, and where we'll be this morning, you have to understand we're in, the, we're in Jesus' last week of his life, and it has just been one after another after another question from the religious authorities. They're just peppering him with questions. And finally, 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 after a few of these we're going to get to this conversation today where Jesus answers this question once and for all. And what you find out is the most unlikely of candidates. I mean, if this candidate were to show up here, many of us would probably go, ah, I, I, I'm not like him. But if you were to look at this candidate, you'd go, okay, if they can move closer to Jesus, any of us could move closer to Jesus. But it's an unlikely source. In fact, it's one of those that seems to be after Jesus constantly as you read through the accounts of Jesus' life. Let me read it to you. This is in Mark chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Now, Jesus has been having this conversation with the Sadducees. These are these other religious authorities. And as this teacher of the law also referred to a scribe, Scribes were well-versed, they, no pun intended, well-versed in the Bible. They knew exactly what it said, where it said it. They were very familiar with it. They could debate anybody. And he comes up, and there's this, this debate going on between Jesus and the Sadducees about, about resurrection life that we talked about last week. And as the scribe is sitting there and he's listening, he does something that is so uncharacteristic of, his, of him when it comes to him and his peers. Listen to what happens. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good 
answer. Now, if you were to just look at the accounts of scribes encountering Jesus, none of them wanted to come to him and actually be objective about what he was saying. In fact, they came at him. They didn't come to him. They came at him. Noticing that he gave them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And we're going to dive into that in a minute. But I want to I want to pause on this guy's question. And the reason I want to pause on this guy's question is because what you see happening here with the scribe is one of the, one of the ways that we actually can grow closer to Jesus. But it's not really natural for us. In fact, because we're human, human beings, there's something in us that goes the opposite direction of this. See, that first way you really begin to grow closer to Jesus is to recognize his authority. Now, that's not something that you came to want, that you wanted to hear this morning, is it? Because I want to do my thing. I want to do it when I want, how I want, as much as I want, right? See, we like to be our own authority. But here's this scribe. And when you look at this scribe and you look at how his peers uh, would talk and how they would think and the way they went at Jesus, they walked around and they went, no, we're the authorities. We have the answers. In, in fact, for them, that was their power. We're the authorities. But here's, here's the clue. Here's the clue that their own authority wasn't working out for them. Over and over, especially throughout Mark, you may remember that the religious authorities, they would challenge Jesus, and people would gather around and watch, and you know what it would say? But they feared the people. They feared the people. You want to know how you're operating on your own authority and it's just not working out? There will be a fear that creeps in. And it might be of people, it might be of something, but it will eventually get in and affect everything. Now, Jesus is going to give this answer that really it points us at like this second way that we can grow closer to Jesus. And already you've got a scribe who's, who's really not like the other scribes, who, who has already made some sort of heart posture, this movement toward Jesus. And now Jesus is going to give this answer, and you've likely heard this answer growing up. Listen, listen to what he says. The most important commandment, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, that could have, that could have meant a few things. It could have meant that the Lord God, is, he's unified. Uh, it, it could have meant that it, there was one God. I mean, they, their history, they had known a very, it's called polytheism. All kinds of gods out there. But he said, no, the Lord our God is one. Could have also meant that, hey, there might be other gods, but he alone is supreme. But regardless, regardless of what it meant, here's what it comes down to. This idea that when we see all that he is, he asks for all that we are in love. Listen to how he says it. Love the Lord your God, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And that word that you see in there, there's a Greek word called agape. You've probably heard of agape love. It's, it's considered, it was considered then, it's considered now the highest form of love. Many have described the kind of love that God has for us as agape love, as opposed to brotherly love, or family love, or self-love, or romantic love. He says, no, with the highest form of love you've got, love God with all your heart. That is, you start there, and everything else will fall into place. With your soul, that's, that is the, the seat of your emotions and your will. If you would love them, 
with that. And you're loving him with the highest form of love. Your mind. Love God with all your intellect. And finally, with all your strength. That is, every ability, every gift, every talent. And then Jesus does something that would have been so uncharacteristic of rabbis. He says, look, the, the second is like it. And the scribe could have said, well, I didn't ask for a second one. And Jesus maybe would have said, well, too bad. Here it comes. Because you can't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength without this. And what does he say in verse 31? The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you were to go and look at the Greek wording there, he does not back down the level of love one bit. You know what he says? He says, love agape love, your neighbor as yourself. Now, one of the things that I grew up with was I would read this verse, and I would, I, I would read it, and I don't know if you've done this, I zeroed in on the neighbor part, and then everything after that trailed off. I want you to think about that for a minute. You walk around, others focused. I mean, I've heard this, this uh, abbreviation that joy stands for loving Jesus. The order is love Jesus, others yourself. And I, say, I hear that and I go, that's really cute. And it doesn't work. All right? And what I mean by that is that too often I grew up thinking, well, I just need to love Jesus. I need to do the best I can to love others when they make it maybe a little easier to. But to love myself... That went out the door. In fact, I've talked to a number of you, and I've talked to a number of Christians that don't even go to this church, that this is the battle. That we don't know how to love ourselves because we don't have a grasp on how God loves us. And so while we run out the door and we check all the boxes of love God and love others, you know what we forget about? We forget about ourselves. And if we can't love ourselves the way God loves us, and we're not going to love others very well. Well, Jesus wraps this up. He says, <clears throat> there is, excuse me, there is no commandment greater than these. And then, I love, I love what this guy says. It's kind of funny to me. Verse 32. This guy who's teacher, who needs to be seen as an authority, he likes to think he's in charge. He says, well said, teacher. Well said. Can you imagine saying that to God? Hey, nice job. You got it right, God. And Jesus, with all his gracious love, doesn't correct him. The man keeps going. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. Now let me pause there. You are right. This man recognized that Jesus had given a good answer. And now we have an acknowledgement. We have an acknowledgement. In fact, this is probably the way many of us in here began to get closer to God the first time we got closer to God. Somebody put forth a, a passage like this, or they put forth some information. You know what you did? You acknowledged it. You went, yes. Okay, I can agree with that. See, you can, you can grow closer to Jesus by, by recognizing his authority and acknowledging his ways. But there's a third way. There's a third way that you see here as the, as the conversation progresses. Verse 33, to love him, the, the scribe continues, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And now he's going to add to it. 
is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And of course, they're standing in the temple courts right now where burnt offerings and sacrifices would have been a very natural thing to think about. But this is that third thing that that can move us closer to Jesus. We recognize his authority. We acknowledge his ways, his ways of love. And we reorder or reprioritize our activities. And the reason I bring this up, I don't know anybody in here that makes burnt offerings and sacrifices on a daily or weekly basis. But I know plenty of people in here, myself included, and I look in the mirror and I still see it from time to time, that we live in the world of sacrifice. And here's how it sounds. If I could just... Dot, dot, dot. If I could just... You got some of those rolling around in your mind from time to time? If I could just get a promotion. If I could just compete better in my sport, if I could just do better in school, if, if I could just, you fill in the blank, and then usually we, we, we end it with, then God will love me. Then people will love me. Then I will love me. See, the thing the scribe hit on, and I know we often like point at the scribes and say, no, they didn't get it, but where the scribe kind of pulls ahead of us a lot of the time is that he recognized that that kind of highest form of agape love is more important than sacrifice. Because he understood that sacrifice, sacrifice, the very thing the religious authorities held over the people, that's the thing that distorts the relationship, isn't it? I mean, as soon as you started thinking, if I just go to church X number of Sundays this month, God will be what? Pleased happy with me. You, you like see a smile in the sky when you, when you went to church this morning, maybe because you checked a box instead of coming to worship. Or, or we'll do this with other people. If they just do as I'd like them to do, then it'll be okay. It's a sacrifice relationship. Or you look in the mirror and you go, if I could just, then God will love me, people will love me, I will love me. Now, Here's my favorite part of this entire passage. Okay, yes, everything we've talked, talked about up to now is important, and you can grow closer to Jesus by recognizing his authority, acknowledging his ways, and re-reordering your activities. But after all this is said, listen to what Jesus says to the scribe. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And I don't know, it probably depends on if you're a, half, a glass half full or half empty person. Some of you are like, this is pretty good. This sounds good. And then some of you are like, but it's almost. Did you catch what he said there? You're not far. You're not there, but you're not far. It's an almost. After the scribe showed, he understood All the commandments, all that love, all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength, and to love your neighbor with all that love, Jesus looked at him and said, almost. And I don't know about you, but I hear this. I read this, and I'm like, what else do you want, Jesus? Right? I mean, it feels like a taskmaster, doesn't it? You are not far 
from the kingdom of God. And with, with a heart full of love, you want to know what Jesus is getting at here? And what he's getting at with the scribe and with you and me is that all your efforts, the furthest they can get you, is almost. Yeah, I mean, I want you to recognize Jesus' authority. I, w- I want you to acknowledge his ways. I want you to reorder your activities. But you know what Jesus says? It's almost. That's almost. See, what this, what this scribe didn't understand, or maybe was coming to understand, is that he knew all about God, but he didn't see him right in front of his face. I mean, just, just think about that almost to all this. I mean, how many of us are actually okay with almost? Anybody? Here, let me, let me land this a little bit. Your employer comes to you and they said, you know what, we're going to give you almost all of your paycheck this week. Yeah, you're not happy, are you? Or you maybe read about the gold rush when you were younger, and there's that story about the guy that was drilling and drilling and drilling, and he got what? It's, it always changes. It's like three inches, or it's three miles, or it's three feet from this vein of gold that was like the mother of all gold finds, right? It was almost. Super Bowl 34, those of you that remember... The Rams and the Titans, last play of the game. The Titans needed a score, and they get stopped almost. Or they get there almost. They get stopped at the one-yard line. You know, nobody takes almost all their vacation time. If your pilot on your plane says, I'm going to turn it almost to the destination you want to go, and you're hoping to go to Hawaii and you end up in Antarctica, you're not okay with almost. Are you? None of us is. See, this scribe was almost there. And far too many times in my own life as I look back, and I watch far too many of us, we go down this path that depends on us. If I could just recognize, and if I could just acknowledge, and if I could just order my life right, then, then he'll love me. And then people will love me. And Jesus says, nah, it's almost. See, this scribe, this one who knew all about God, who knew all the scriptures, who would go around and would teach people. He didn't know God right in front of his face. And see, this is, this is like the, the whole thing this morning. It's this, that knowing about Jesus is never a substitute for bowing before him. Knowing about Jesus is never a substitute for bowing before him. It's not. I mean, yeah, I, I, like I said, I hope you recognize him. I hope you acknowledge him. I hope you reorder your life around it. But Jesus looks at all that and he says, but, but that's you, that's your strength doing it. See, a lot of almost in Scripture. There are a lot of almosts in Scripture. You remember the, the rich young ruler, the rich young man? He comes to Jesus and he says, look, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I mean, what would, like, what, would, what would get me the abundant life? I mean, I've been living this life, but what would be abundant life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And he walks through them. And as he's listing them all off, you can, just, you can almost read between the lines of the account. This rich young man, it's like he's puffing his chest up. He's just mentally checking the boxes. Check, check, check. And when he answers, he says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. 
And what was Jesus' response? One thing you lack. Go and sell everything and come and follow me. And it wasn't that he was hoping to like get the money from Craigslist or eBay or anything like that from the rich young man. It was that I, I want to see if your heart is more attached to that stuff or in following me. Remember the parable of a good Samaritan? You know, man gets beaten up by robbers. He's laying on the side of the road, just bleeding. I mean, he's just laying there. And a priest walks by. And a priest sees him, keeps moving. Because what does a priest need to go focus on? Sacrifice. He goes, I, I, I can't stop for you. I've got to go make sacrifice. A Levite walks by him. Same, same deal. Keeps moving. <clears throat> Finally, it's a good Samaritan. The one that nobody expected to stop, stops for him. Or maybe you remember the parable of the prodigal son. Right? Yeah, I mean, don't even get me started. It's younger sibling, takes their share of the inheritance. They run off, squander it. As an older sibling, I could launch into a whole another sermon right now, Kyla. All right? So anyway, that, that really is a different sermon for a different time. But younger sibling runs off to a far-off country, squanders all of it. He's finally eating pig slop, and he's like, huh, maybe I should go back. He was kind of nice at home. And he gets this plan together, and he comes back, and his father sees him from a distance. And before, before the younger son can even begin his plan, the father cuts him off and hugs him. He says, you're back. Let's throw a party. Let's have a feast. So this feast is going on. And the older brother who's working out in the field, I, I get the older brother, okay? Um, he's out in the field, and he hears this commotion from in the house, and he turns to somebody, he says, what's going on? And they said, oh, your, your dad, he threw a party for your brother. And you can imagine how the older brother felt. I'll tell you later how he felt. But anyway, so he, you just, he, he, he's, he's so angry. And word gets to the father, and the father comes out to him. The father doesn't even say, hey, come here. Father goes out to him. He says, what's going on? And do you know what the older brother said? After all I've done. Do you know what language that is? Sacrifice. After all I've done. I mean, all, all the work I've done. He was off squandering the inheritance. All the work I've done. Or maybe today it might sound like all, all the Sundays, all the Sunday mornings I've been at church. All the songs I know. All the things I've done, all the theology that I've gotten dialed in just perfectly, all the serving I've done. And you know what the Father says to him? This is like my favorite part. One of my favorite parts. I say that about every verse, really. But he says, you are always with me. And everything, all, not almost, all I have is yours. Did you catch that? And do you believe that? I, I mean, when you think about this relationship right now, do you believe when he looks at you that he loves you so much that he says, all I have is yours? See, I have to think that might change some things for us a little bit. 
And I have to think that might move us out of the almost stuff. You know, we talked about recognizing his authority. But when he looks at us and he says, you have all. I mean, Jesus sent the disciples out with all his authority. But you have my authority? You want to know what happens in the life that says, Jesus, I am going to let you be the authority in my life? You know what finally happens that, that wasn't happening all along? Rest. Rest. Do you want to know what God has for you when you come under his authority? You rest. You don't have to figure everything out. It doesn't all depend on you. You can rest. You feel the difference between recognizing his authority and resting under it? I mean, that's almost and all. One is almost, one is abundant. Okay, acknowledging his ways. I mean, we all know that commandment, or maybe you've at least heard it growing up. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we acknowledge it until we get out on the highway and start road raging, you know, with people and stuff like that. But we can acknowledge it. But if we believe that all he has is ours, that that love that we love him back with is first supplied by him, there's a major difference between acknowledging his ways and embracing his ways of love. Isn't there? One is almost, and one is abundant. Reordering our activities, right? I mean, there's just something that happens. When we saw this with the pandemic, right? Once everybody started coming back into churches, it was like, oh, I, I need to think about my schedule again. Whoa, I can actually go places. I can be around people. See, it's really easy to reorder our activities, but you know what God really wants? He said, you have so much of me that I want to reorder you. Hey, you can reorder your schedule, and you can reorder the places you go, and you can reorder everything in your life. But I want to reorder you. One of those is almost, and one of those is abundant. Abundance is in the all. That's where the kingdom of God is. And, and I can't help but thinking, as he said that phrase, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That yes, he recognized here was a man that, that in human strength was moving closer. But, but in a few days, Jesus was going to go to the cross. And in going to the cross for the life that trusts in him, you know what he did? He said, you have all. Everything I have is yours. See that? Feel the difference between almost and all. And so he says, look, recognize, acknowledge, reorder. But you want to know what I really want? I want your dependence. I want your trust. Because knowing about Jesus is never a substitute for bowing before him. And then there's just like this little detail that ends the account. And you kind of read it and you're like, oh, that's nice. But listen to what he says. What Mark tells us. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. And I wrote, I bet they didn't. I bet they didn't. You want to know why? Because Jesus answers the question so well. Jesus answers the question so well. In fact, it's with this last piece in mind that I just want to throw a few questions out to you. And I want you to answer them right now. 
I actually want you to go spend some time with him this week. And I want you to take these questions before him. Question number one. Where is my insistence on my authority causing unrest? I mean, where is like that area that you just, you got to have so much control and you've got to decide how it goes and how everything works and all of it. But, but inside, you're just, you're just spinning. You're just a tangled knot. Where is my insistence on my authority causing unrest? Number two. And this is the one I imagine many of us could sit with for a long, long time. How does God see me? And I'm going to add to this. Really? How does God see you? And when you get up in the morning, what's going on deep down inside? How does he see you? And I could tell you as a pastor, I could say, well, you look at the cross. And that will tell you exactly how he sees you. But I want you to go sit with it. Because, see, it's easy when, when, I've, when I've lived a life of, like, sacrifice and I've checked every box to say, oh, God's pleased with me. But what does Paul remind us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means on your worst day, in your worst moment, the worst you've ever been, he said, I'll die for that. I will die for that. Finally, question number three. <clears throat> Where... Am I longing for a reordered heart in the midst of reordered activities? Where, even though I've, I've reordered all the external stuff, where am I longing to be, to be reordered internally? And I'll close with this. This is one of my favorite stories out of, I have a lot of favorite stories, but uh, one of my favorite stories out of a, this is a Max Lucado book <clears throat> called Spirit of Revival. And he tells of this Mughal uh, emperor named Shah Jahan. And Shah Jahan, he had a number of wives, but one of his wives, the, they believe it's the wife he had the longest, she died. And when she died, as part of his grieving process, he decided, I'm going to build a temple to her name. And so the, the construction commences, and he's going through his grief. But as time went on, the building, the, as the building was going on, his grief was basically eclipsed by his passion for the project. And so the walls are going up, and, and all kinds of stuff is going up. And when she had died, they had just placed this box, this, this coffin, with her remains in the middle of everything. So months are going by, and all this building's happening, and there's dust, and there's dirt all over the place. He's walking one day, and so much dirt has, has built up around this coffin that it's kind of a mound, and he's walking over it, and he trips, and he falls. And immediately, he ordered for her coffin to be thrown out, not knowing it was her coffin. He has it thrown out. And as I read that... And as Max Lucado writes, Lucado, Lucado, however you say it, all right, as he writes, he says, can you imagine buildings built for one that the people inside them have forgotten about? And I went, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, this is the issue that the scribe was on the verge of. This is it right here. And this is the, this is the crux of it for us. We come to a building. We recognize him. We acknowledge him. We reorder things. But are we looking for him? 
See, it's easy on a Sunday to come in and, and like look at the building, isn't it? Especially with all the work that's been happening in here, right? But then some people come to church and the eyes are on the one who was slain for us. And when your eyes are on the one who is slain, when he has your heart, then every single moment is an eye-opening moment. Every single moment is an opportunity, not just to know about him, but to know him, to bow before him. Because there is no substitute for that. So the worship team comes back up. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and it is just over and over and over. I'm struck by how rich your word is. We could just sit there and chew on it and go away from this building on a Sunday at a time and a place that we're used to gathering and focusing on you. And we're reminded, you go with us. And so for every single person in here, whether it's online or in person, as we head out these doors, Lord, we want to recognize you. We want to acknowledge you. We want to reorganize our activities around you. But more than that, Lord, we want that abundant life that rests in your authority, that embraces your love, and the one in which you reorganize our very hearts and souls to love with your love, a love beyond our own. And so I pray that for every single person in here and those tuning in. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.